Well, uh, good morning, and I'm glad you guys are here, and uh, we continue our series today called The Journey. Have you ever seen those uh, Verizon commercials? Uh, they're, they're advertising no uh, dead zones. I-, I like the one where the guy uh, comes out of like an old general store. He's carrying a bag of groceries, and you can see right away he's got a van there. His family, they've been on a trip somewhere, and uh, there's these two kind of weird-looking, creepy guys sitting on a bench there, and one of them goes, uh, you're not from around here, mister, are you? And the guy says, uh, no, we're headed up the road here to the bed and breakfast, and they said... Uh, well, just around the corner, there's a dead zone. And uh, he said, you know, your signal tends to go in and out there. And he says, uh, some calls even disappear. And the guy says, well, that's okay because I'm a Verizon customer. And, you know, of course, then the Verizon guy and that whole group of people that they've made on a computer somewhere um, comes walking up the road and uh, says, hey, it's okay. And then the caption comes on the screen, don't be afraid of dead zones. Well, I would say this morning, uh, when it comes to our communication with God, you don't need to be afraid of dead zones. There are no places where we lose the signal. There are no places where we get disconnected. As I said, we're in this series called The Journey, and we're talking about some tools and principles that the Bible gives us, that God has given us, to help us through our journey in life. And last week we began to talk about one of those tools. It's prayer. And we said last week that God wants to join us on our journey through life, and He has invited us to have great conversation with Him all along the way. And the Bible calls that conversation prayer. And when it comes to prayer, there are no dead zones. There are no places that suddenly I become disconnected from God. I can always have communication. We also said last week that when it comes to prayer, there are sort of these two opposing forces that sometimes work in our lives. There is anxiety that a lot of us struggle with, and then there is the power of prayer. And we said it's really our choice. We're going to let anxiety rule our life, or are we going to choose the power of prayer? And when I choose the power of prayer, there is this this peace that comes into my life, this peace that really, in a sense, is beyond my understanding, beyond my ability to really explain but it comes into my life. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, I had my own experience this week where uh, God does this to me a lot of times when I talk about something, sometimes before I talk about it, a lot of times after I talk about it, I think he sort of wants to see, Jeff, are you just talking about it or are you really going to live this stuff out? And so uh, there was some stuff that I was working through this week, some struggles, and uh, produced a lot of anxiety for me, trying to figure out what do I do, how do I handle this? And uh, to be honest... For about a day, I sort of let anxiety rule, I'll admit to you. And then I realized, you know, wake up, Jeff. And I really just turned it over to God. I prayed about it. And you know what happened? That very peace that we talked about came into my life. And then there was this sense of peace about it. You know, I, I know God's going to take care of it. I don't need to be worried about this. I don't need to be anxious about it. That's the power of prayer. And last week, we talked about the value of prayer. And we uh, let people from here at Crossville, we shared some of their stories. Today I want to try to answer the question, how do I pray? And Jesus teaches a great lesson on that that we're going to look at. But maybe as we talk about prayer, you think, you know, I've got a lot of questions about prayer. In fact, when somebody mentions the whole idea of prayer, man, all these red flags go up. I'm just not sure about the whole concept. So maybe you can identify with this young man's questions and struggles. Listen. Can we ever understand prayer? I know I don't. Whenever I try to pray, it's always a train wreck. I get sidetracked, fall asleep, or just get bored. Bored with my seemingly meaningless monologue, which feels like an insult to God's intelligence. More importantly, what's the point 
We're told to ask and you shall receive, but doesn't God know what I want, what I'm asking for, before I actually ask for it? And what about putting it on the prayer chain? Does it actually increase the chance of the answer being yes if more people pray for the same thing? I don't get it. I also never really got when God's answer to your prayer is no, or when He doesn't answer at all. What do you do with that? Pray more? Get down on your knees? But does that even help? could just pray harder, but is that even possible? Maybe I could pray again, but is that even worth it? I could word the question differently. It's just rinse, repeat, game over. Are you even listening? That's your job. You don't ever talk, so you have to be listening. Say something. Please? Maybe you answering me is related to just how good I am each day or each week. If I just am good enough for one day, maybe you'll take a glance and think about helping me out for once. I've heard God isn't a personal vending machine, but that's how everyone else seems to talk to Him. Like God just wants to bless me and make my life great. I don't see it. But then again, how would you even know? You couldn't really say either way if it was God or just a coincidence. But I'm not giving up just yet. Paul says pray all the time. Jesus said to pray a short little prayer. I like my version. Dear Dad, who is in heaven? You're holy. I try to give control to you. Just give me what I need, not what I want. You would probably know better anyway. Forgive me when I mess up and keep me safe and warm. And sometimes, if you could remind me you still love me, that'd be great. Sincerely, P.S. I love you. Now, does any of that resonate with you? Maybe you have asked some of those kinds of questions at different times. Well, you're not the only one to ask questions. In fact, Jesus' disciples, some of His closest followers, had some questions about prayer themselves. Now, these disciples were guys that grew up in a Jewish community. And so I guarantee they grew up being taught how to pray. But somewhere along the line, as they watched and listened to Jesus pray, they must have thought to themselves, we were taught how to pray, but when we listen to Him and we watch what happens when He prays, we must not be doing something right. And so one day they just said to Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And I want us to look at the lesson that He gives them because I think it's a great lesson for us about how to pray. And so if you brought your Bibles, I hope you did. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament of the Bible. And we're going to be in chapter 6 and look at several verses there, and I hope you open your Bibles and follow along. Let me just kind of set the scene here. This is a part of what is often called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a series of talks or lessons that Jesus gave as a bunch of people had gathered one day on the side of a mountain. And He sat down on the side of the mountain and He just taught. I probably went on for quite a long period of time, and He teaches about some things that can be difficult. He talked about murder and adultery, and He told people to love their enemies, and in the midst of all of this teaching, he also says, here's how you ought to pray. And gives us a really clear lesson on how to pray. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. So here's what he says, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Now there is a word in there that immediately jumps out at me. It's the word hypocrite. Because even in our culture today, the word hypocrite is not a good thing. 
You know, nobody wants to be a hypocrite and probably none of us want to be around a hypocrite. I mean, we don't want to hang out with people who wear a mask, who hide behind a mask. We don't want to be around people who pretend to be one thing in one place and are something totally different in another place. We don't like that. And Jesus says these hypocrites pretend to be something in one place that they're not really in another place. He says don't pray like them. Don't pray standing on the street corner. Prayer is not a show, Jesus says. It's not some religious demonstration. Look how impressive I am because I can pray a powerful prayer. Jesus says, no, that's not it. In fact, Jesus says, notice uh, in, as the verse continues, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Jesus says, these guys that pray on the street corners to be seen by everybody else, when people tell them what a great prayer that is, way to go, that was awesome, so impressive. Jesus says, there you go, that's your reward. You've received it. And then he goes on in the next verse to say maybe how we ought to pray. He says, beginning in verse seven, verse 6, but when you pray, not notice, not if you pray, Jesus just assumes why would you ever disregard the value of prayer? Why wouldn't you take advantage of this incredible gift of prayer that God has given to every one of us? So Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Jesus' first lesson about prayer seems to have to do with the place. Now, I know immediately you might protest and say, well, Jeff, can't you pray anywhere? And I would agree with you. Yes, you can pray anywhere at any time. Remember Susan last week in our interview, she talked about how she just tries to remember the presence of God all the time. She prays on the way to work sometimes, and as things come up at the office, she just prays to God right there. And that is absolutely valid. But Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and close the door. He seems to indicate that there is something about a place that makes a difference. He indicates that there is something important about location. And what he seems to indicate is that we need to go into our room and close the door. Why? Because we need to get to a place that is away from the distractions of life. A place where we can really connect with Him on a whole different level. And so Jesus says, go into your room and close the door because in this place where you can connect with me more deeply, there will be something that happens that doesn't happen at any other time or place. Again, remember Susan, as she talked in her interview last week, talked about the fact that that's not the only time that she prays, that she has times that she goes up, used to be up to the third story of her house. And they're in a room that's not used very often where it's very quiet and free from distractions. She would talk to God. She'd communicate with Him on a whole different level listen to what he says he says go into your room and close the door now here's why part of why i think he says that and maybe you can understand it this way my wife and i uh peg and i have a lot of conversation on the fly probably this happens at your house too you know what's the boy's schedule when are you going to work when are you going to be home from work what are we going to have for dinner what are we doing tonight you know, and our relationship is, is okay at a certain level with conversation on the fly, but we know that if our conversation is going to have the depth to it that it really ought to have, there have to be other times where we get away from the distractions, where we go to a restaurant and we sit down at a table and we have a conversation that is much deeper. There need to be times where we get a, sit on the couch together and we have a much deeper conversation where we really connect on a deeper level because we can't maintain our relationship just conversing on the fly all the time and you know what you can talk to god on the fly the rest of your adult life and never really connect with him 
If you really want to connect in a deeper relationship with God, there have to be some times when you go into your room, you close the door, and you have deeper communication with Him. And I think that's why Jesus says the place matters. Not that we can't talk to Him all the time, but if you really want something more significant to happen, you've got to have those moments when you go into your room and you close the door, free from distractions, and you communicate with God. Then look at what he says. He says in the rest of that verse, Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He, he offers us a reward. Now the word reward there means kind of to, to pay back uh, or to repay somebody. And the promise of God is, that according to Jesus, that when I will go into my room and shut the door and connect with Him on that deeper level, there is a reward. It's a promise from Him. And I think that reward is the peace that we talked about last week. That peace that comes into my life that I can't necessarily explain. I don't totally understand it. But I know that it comes, and it comes when I connect with God on that deeper level. And Jesus says, if you're willing to do that, if you will spend time with Me on that deeper level, I will connect with you and I will reward you. Then look at what He says in verse 7. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I think Jesus' second lesson here about prayer has to do with our words. Jesus says, don't be like these, these men, these pagans, He calls them, who are filled with all kinds of words. He says that's not what it's about. It's not about the number of words. God isn't looking for a special formula or a kind of prayer. He's not looking for a lot of words because, you know what, God isn't moved by the quantity or the volume or even the quality of our words. It's not about, oh, I got it all in the right order. So if you've always thought, well, that prayer's all about that, that I've got to have the right words or I've got to say it in the right order, I've got to have the right formula, relax. The pressure's off. Jesus says it's not about many words. It's not about a formula. You know another thing I think the reason Jesus warns us about many words here? Have you ever noticed somebody that talks a lot? And I'm making a generalization here. But somebody that talks a lot often isn't a good listener. They're just always talking. They're never really listening. And I think the same is true in our relationship with God. If it's all about our many words if it's all about getting through our list of things and we're never quiet before God, there's a chance we'll miss something that He might be trying to say to us. I like this. In fact, I like the fact that Jesus says, even before you ask, God already knows what you need. Now, I don't think He's saying don't ask because I know in other places the Bible invites and welcomes us to ask God for anything. But Jesus is saying that's just a, a part of prayer. And for a lot of us, we've made prayer all about that, haven't we? We've thought that's all prayer is. I've got my list, God, and I'm going to go through the list. Boom, 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 boom. Amen. And that's prayer. Jesus says there might be something more to prayer than just our list. In fact, He suggests that maybe there is a bigger part of prayer. And that bigger part of prayer is a realization that we have been invited to call Him Father. And we have been invited into a relationship that is marked by intimacy 
and connection. And that relationship happens when we go into the room and close the door and we communicate on a deeper level. I I like this quote about prayer. I don't know for sure who said it, but they said, prayer requires more of the heart than the tongue. The eloquence of prayer consists in the fervency of desire and the simplicity of faith. I mean, if we're honest, most of us think prayer is all about the words that I speak, isn't it? I think Jesus, what this quote says is true and what Jesus indicated here, He's much more concerned with our hearts than He is the words of our tongue. He's more interested in the fervency of our desire and the simplicity of our belief in Him than He is the eloquence of our words. Well, notice what He says then in verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. Because maybe you're wondering, okay, well, if I'm not supposed to just come with my list, then what am I supposed to talk about? When I go into my room and close the door, what am I supposed to talk about? Well, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, first, you spend some time declaring God's greatness. You realize who it is that you are talking to. That God, who has invited us to call Him Father, declare His greatness. Be reminded that He is the one who rules over the universe. And you know what? The more time that we will spend declaring God's greatness, the more convinced we'll be when we leave that room that He is capable of dealing with whatever comes along. You see, our tendency in life is to think that I have to be capable of dealing with whatever comes along in my journey. Jesus indicates here that if we'll spend some time declaring God's greatness, it will help us remember that it's not my responsibility. It's not up to me to try to handle life by myself. But I'll be reminded that God is capable of handling those situations if I'll spend some time declaring God's greatness. How long does it take? How long do you have? How long do you have? We could go on for days and weeks just declaring how great God really is. Notice what Jesus says then in verse 10. He says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second thing Jesus says we ought to talk about when we go into that room and close the door is surrendering all of me to all of Him. Surrendering all of me to all of Him. It's a realization that I'm going to put God's agenda first. That I'm going to put God's agenda first in my finances, in my marriage, in my, the lives of my children, at my job, in other relationships, in my life at school. That I'm going to put God's agenda first. It is easy for us to think that it's all about accomplishing our agenda, isn't it? Jesus says we need to spend some time surrendering our agenda to God's agenda. Surrendering all of me to all of Him. How long does that take? Well, it depends on the condition of your hearts. But we need to be willing to surrender all of me to all of Him. And He says, do it here on earth because that's where our world is. Think of it this way. I want you to think about a couple of different prayers that Jesus prayed while He was here on earth. If you grew up in the church, maybe you remember the story of Lazarus in the tomb. 
And Lazarus had died and he was a friend of Jesus, so they called for Jesus. Jesus came to the entrance of the tomb and he prays there. And then he calls for Lazarus to come back from the dead, which Lazarus does. You know what, if you timed out that prayer that Jesus prays in front of the tomb, it's maybe 10 or 15 seconds in length. And yet the result of that prayer is one of the most powerful things that happened in all of human history. It was an amazing event in Jesus' life. Ten seconds of prayer. But then flip forward in time to the night that Jesus is in the garden, the night before He's arrested and He goes to the cross. Do you know how long He spent that night praying? He spent all night praying. Because you know what He was praying about? He was praying about surrendering His will to God's will. He was struggling over whose will is going to get done here. I mean, he knew that he needed to go to the cross. He knew that's what God was asking him to do, but there was a part of him that struggled and he had to keep praying, God, Your will be done, not my will. And that struggle to surrender all of His will to all of God's will, that prayer took all night. You see, God's response to our prayer isn't based on the length of our prayer, but on the condition of our hearts. A lot of times for you and I, we have to get the condition of our heart right before God can work in our lives. Well, he goes on then to talk about the next thing in verse 11. And you know what? This next part is where we usually spend most of our time when it comes to prayer. He says in verse 11, give us today our daily bread. And he starts through here talking about a series of things where we need to acknowledge our dependency on God. And the first thing, He says, give us today our daily bread. We need to acknowledge our dependency on God for provision. Now, he talks about bread. And, and, you know, that's that's one of the basic needs of life, isn't it? It's such a simple thing. We're pretty good most of the time at acknowledging our dependence on God for the big things. I've got a big job interview. Or there is a, a looming financial crisis. Or I've got a big decision to make. It's pretty easy for me to say, well, I'm dependent on God for that. But what about the very basic things in life? Do we acknowledge our dependency on Him for those things? Jesus says when you pray, you need to acknowledge your dependency on Jesus for even the most basic of needs, even your food. Acknowledge to Him that even our food comes from Him. Then He says in verse 12, forgive us our debts, or it could be translated our sins, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Jesus says we need to acknowledge our dependency on God for pardon, for the forgiveness of our sins. When we pray, Jesus says you need to deal with your sin. Now, you know how we typically want to deal with our sin? We we want to do something like this. God, would you forgive me of all my sins? And then we want to move right on. But if you study in the Bible pretty carefully, the way that we really deal with our sins is by dealing with them individually, by calling them out. By saying to God, God, I was wrong when I did this. Fill in the blank. And dealing with those sins honestly and individually. And Jesus says that as we acknowledge those sins to Him, as we acknowledge our dependence on God for forgiveness, as we confess those sins, that we are granted forgiveness. In fact, it says it this way in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. It says, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. That's God's promise. If we'll deal honestly with sin. You know, in a a relationship that you have with another person, if there's something that happens between of you, one of you wronged the other one in some way, until that's dealt with, the relationship's awkward, isn't it? 
The next time you're around them and you're trying to have conversation, it's just not normal. There's this wall, this obstacle that's just kind of in the way. Until you say to one another, you know, I was, I was wrong when I did that to you. Will you forgive me? And the wall begins to go away. The same is true in our relationship with God. When there is sin that I've committed against Him, it becomes a wall, an obstacle in that relationship until I confess that sin, until I admit to it. And then the wall begins to 